Thanks for checking out the Awaken Church podcast. Awaken Church messages are brought to you by our generous givers and partners. You can always learn more about the vision or get financially to support the work God is doing here at Awaken by visiting our website, awakenchurch.cc. If you can't make one of our weekly worship services, you can always watch online by going to our website and clicking on the watch tab. And now, wherever you're joining us from, thanks for listening, and we hope this message encourages you. I think about that scripture that God is able to do immeasurably more than anything we can ask or imagine according to his power at work within us. And that means that we have a part to play. Amen. He wants to work in and through us. And I believe he does that in and through the church. And so I'm glad to be in church today and I'm ready to open up uh, God's word. I do want to say before I dive in how thankful I am uh, that God brought Lucas and Emily Denson to Awaken Church. And uh, yeah, can we, can we welcome the Densons? Uh, I met a couple after the first service this morning. And if you're watching online, this is our 11 o'clock service. But after our 915 service, we celebrated baptisms and uh, had a guy come up. His name's Reed. And he said, today, uh, I've made a decision that I need to get baptized. And here's why. And in his Bible, under his notes section circled, was the scripture that Lucas just read. And he said, wasn't that ironic? I said, no, that's the Lord. And he spoke to you through Lucas. And I believe that's how God works. And so I believe we've got a man on our team that walks with the Lord, that speaks by his spirit. And I'm excited for what he's going to do in and through Lucas here at Awaken Church. So I believe in this guy and you will too. You'll see. So uh, let's open up God's word together. John chapter two is where we're going to be today. We're in a series called Jesus is. We launched into this uh, right after Easter. And uh, the whole point of this series is to look at how, really characteristics of Jesus, um, who he is, what does he encompass, maybe you've learned about Jesus growing up, you have an image of who you think he should be, or what he's like, uh, and, and so I really want to walk through today the fact that I believe Jesus is happy. I got one amen, and that, that's, that's my point, here you go. Two weeks ago, we talked about Jesus being grace, right? Jesus is grace. Last week, Tevin preached an incredible word about Jesus being the point. Like, Jesus is the point of everything. He's the meaning of life. He's everything that you're looking for. I want to talk about Jesus being happy because I believe most church people, Christians, have a reputation of being unhappy. Maybe you remember going to church growing up, or perhaps you're here and this is your church. And you're like, well, it's a bunch of rules. They're really serious. We clothe it with reverence. But the truth is, I believe one of the most godly things we can do is smile, right? And be, and be happy. Now, I know that spiritually speaking, um, we tend to have like Christianese sometimes. And we'll say things like, um, you know what? I'm full of joy. And joy is permanent and happiness is circumstantial. And some of that's true. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't want you to be happy, right? I think about the scriptures and I look at, at Jesus in the gospels. And the truth is, if you look at who Jesus was and the places that he went and the things that he said, I find it really hard to believe that uh, he was negative, that he was just always walking around with heaviness or weariness. It's the scripture read earlier, come to me, all you who are heavy or weary, and I'll give you rest. I want you to envision this next time you pick up the Bible and you read from one of the gospels. Imagine Jesus talking with a smile on his face. It changes how you receive what he says. Like imagine Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount, not preaching like hellfire and brimstone, but like speaking with a smile on his face and talking about the blessings 
of God. See, the truth is, we live in a very unhappy world. We live in a world of bad news. The gospel that we talk about, gospel means good news. We live in a bad news world, right? Is this a news flash for anybody? Think about it like this. Negativity runs rampant. If you were to leave right now and pull up your social media feed, most of the news on social media is gonna be negative. If you were to turn on uh, CNBC or MSNBC or Fox News or CNN tonight, what you're gonna find is negative news. I was watching a recap of the draft, the NFL draft, right? And these are young men whose dreams are coming true. And ESPN on Friday was talking about the negative decisions of some of these teams and why they selected certain players and how they made a bad decision. And I'm like, man, we are finding a negative bent on everything. People are unhappy. Think about traffic. All right, I've seen some of y'all in traffic. I really have. And maybe you see me in traffic sometimes. I was, if you drive in traffic and you look at people, you can see they're mad, they're unhappy. I was, this past week, I was obviously thinking about this message and I was driving down Glen McConnell. I live in West Ashley and I looked to my right at this girl that was driving and she was probably late 20s and y'all, she, there was no hands on the steering wheel. We are going probably, I don't know, 20, 25 miles an hour. No hands on the steering wheel. Had like, looked like a cup of yogurt in the right hand, makeup in the left hand with the mirror down and I'm, I'm looking like, this is absolutely amazing that she's even able to stay on the road right now. Uh, next time you're in traffic, look at the people around you. They're not smiling. If you find somebody that's like listening to music and they're smiling, they're having a good time, it probably makes you mad, right? That they're enjoying their day and you're not, right? It's, it's frustrating. Uh, I think about, you know, the, uh, and obviously we've, we've been in masks for a year, right? So you don't see a lot of smiles, but I, I want to propose to you that, that maybe the most godly thing or piece of advice you'll get in 21, 2021 so far is just to smile. Just fix your face. Like if I stole that line, put your old pinky fingers, I'm not doing it. But uh, I think, I think if, if we walk around as people, so godly people, Christians, who claim to carry with ourselves, the gospel, which means good news, good news makes you smile. And when you hear good news, you don't frown, right? So if we would do well to just start smiling a little bit. My first message, first sermon I ever preached in big church, I was at my, my former church, First Baptist Spartanburg, and my pastor, Dr. Don, said, uh, Brandon, I want you to preach in the sanctuary. Now, y'all, I was 23, big old church. I'd never preached in front of, like, adults before. And so put on my suit, had my tie, and I was preaching about Jesus walking on the water, and I was passionate about it. And, and I preached two services, preached my guts out. And uh, he called me in the next week, and I thought he was going to give me this raving review on my sermon. I was really excited about it. And he said, brother, it's an incredible sermon. He's from South Africa. Incredible message. I got one question for you. Said, yes, sir. Were you mad? I was like, no, I wasn't mad. I was just passionate. Why? You didn't smile. And I remember thinking like, you know what? He's got a good point. How dare I get up in front of God's people and just yell at him? You know, I mean it. It's like a coach in a locker room, but his point was have some joy, have some happiness, put a smile on your face. I believe Jesus was happy. Here's why. People wanted to be around him. People wanted to follow him. You don't want to follow somebody that's negative. You don't want to follow somebody that's cynical or sarcastic. Y'all, Jesus, kids wanted to come to Jesus. 
Kids don't like negative people, right? Kids and dogs have radars. This is for young ladies who are dating somebody, all right? Don't put your hand up, but if you got a man, if he don't like kids and kids don't like him, run. If you take them around dogs and they don't like him, leave him. I'm telling you, they, they really do. They have a radar. They have a radar. So, and he's, he's whispering in your ears right now, making excuses. Don't listen to him. It's the fact. I'm trying to help you out. Y'all, there's a story in the, in the gospels. Why is it recorded? Kids are trying to get in Jesus' lap and the disciples are like, no, no, like we got real adult. We got people here. Like take the kids away. And Jesus is like, no, let them come. It's fine. You know, I just, I, I like to envision Jesus smiling. And there's a story right here in John chapter two. It's actually Jesus' first miracle. And it really encapsulates, I think, a lot of what we're looking for. It's a story about a young couple getting married, a family that's celebrating the festivities that would be really indicative of like the family's wealth and appreciation for their community. All this is coming together in this miracle. And I want to read it and then break it down because I think there's some things we can learn from it. What, what I believe God can teach us through this story. John chapter 2, if you got your Bibles, follow along. If not, it'll be on the screen. Here's what we find. And by the way, this is Jesus' really first week of ministry. He's gone by the Sea of Galilee. He's invited fishermen to be his disciples. They've begun journeying together, having conversations. This is like the third day, and this is what we find. The next day, there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Let me just stop there and give some context. When we think about a wedding, usually our minds, when we read the Bible, we think modern day, right? We think about, this is what a wedding looks like today. Let's say it's a Saturday wedding. Friday night, you have a rehearsal. If you're in like the in-in crowd, you get to go to the rehearsal. Um, if you're in the wedding, or you're like really close family or friends. Then Saturday, there's the wedding. It's usually a couple hours long. Not the ceremony, right? Because I get told when I officiate weddings, keep it short. That's what the dad always says. Amen. Keep it tight. Because um, nobody wants an hour-long wedding. Can we agree? Amen. Goodness gracious. Just let them kiss and get out of there. And uh, after the wedding, there's usually like a reception and some dancing and some music, and, and then you go home. It's a couple hours. Weddings in first century Jerusalem, they were like a week long. And it wasn't just family. It was family, friends, and the entire community. Because in Jewish culture, when you brought two families together for a wedding, it was a communal deal. It took the whole community, the whole phrase, it takes a village to raise a child, that's what we're talking about. The entire community would come to this wedding, and it would be for an entire week. And there would be food, and there would be drinks, and there'd be dancing, and laughing, and music. And y'all, it was a huge ordeal, a massive ordeal. And so Jesus, and this is the vision I want you to have. If you were to throw a big shindig, and you were going to have food, and you were going to have drinks, and you were going to have music, and you are going to have dancing, would you bring Jesus because what's cool is he made the cut. You go, how do I know Jesus was happy and joyful? They wanted him at the party. Y'all ever had a guest list and there's somebody in there you don't want? Yep. They wanted Jesus there and his disciples. So here he is. He's at the celebration. Verse 3. Here's the problem. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. So Jesus' mother told him they have no more wine. Verse 4. Dear woman... That's not our problem, Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. Next week is Mother's Day, 
And I'll speak on that a little bit in a moment because it sounds like Jesus is really disrespectful, isn't it? If your mom addresses you in public, don't address her as woman, all right? My mother's in this church. I would never do that. Verse five, but his mother told the servants, uh, do whatever he tells you to do. Verse six, standing nearby were six stone water jars. They were used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons of water. Now, Jesus told the servants, go fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, he called the bridegroom over. And this is what he said. The host always serves the best wine first. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Gana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and all his disciples believed in him. One of the perplexing things about Jesus is this. He was God in the flesh, told us, hey, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, completely holy, completely clean, completely sinless, but y'all, Jesus hung out in some shady places. There is no, I can't, I wish I could clean that up for us, right? And, and when we read this story, what we find, I've always found this one a little tough to preach, right? Because we got Jesus at a party. We're a couple days in. The wine supply runs out. And in my immature thinking, especially when I was a Christian, it's like, hey, Jesus, we're out of drinks. It's like, cool, I'll tap another keg. We're good, right? That, that's what at face value it feels like. But I want to... That's not the story. They sit in the tailgate. They sit in Jesus going, I got another cooler, we're fine. That's, that's, not, that's not at all what's taking place. In fact, this story is laced with like tons of, um, tons of theology that I could break down, but also it's got major implications about who he is and what he's going to do on the cross. Here's what happened. Uh, when, when Jesus went to, say, Matthew's house, the tax collector, or when Jesus got invited to a dinner uh, at certain sinners' houses, whether it's Zacchaeus, Matthew, whoever, um, one of the things that I believe is, is very appealing about Jesus, and one of the things I believe we can learn about Jesus, is that when he went to those places and there were things taking place and people there that had very shady backgrounds, he didn't carry with him a spirit of condemnation. And let me walk through that for a minute because I I think sometimes we tend to impose that on Jesus based on what we have experienced in church, right? So um, it's one thing to like go to a place and there's shady stuff going down and you sit there and you're like, yeah, cut that music off. Turn that off the screen. You shouldn't be drinking that. You definitely shouldn't be smoking that. You shouldn't be wearing that, right? And, And what's frustrating at times is we've turned church into that, right? Like, some man-made rules. Did you grow up in a church that told you you couldn't wear hats? Anybody? Okay. Um, I remember when we first started Awaken Church, we rented a little church building and we had a greeter that smoked out front. Maybe we had somebody smoke in the parking lot today. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't, that's not like a prerequisite on our A-teens. You have to like give up smoking to park cars, right? Now we don't allow smoking inside the building, but I remember getting a complaint like, hey, you got somebody smoking out front it's at church. And I'm like, awesome, they're at church. 
This is where we want them to be. Or having conversations in the, in the foyer and you can smell alcohol in somebody's breath. Right? Um, or somebody walking into church and they're wearing something that's a little too tight or maybe it's too low cut. Right? And, and, and then the thought may be, well, they shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be here. The way I view it, I'm like, look, this is exactly where we want them to be. And this should not be a place of condemnation if Jesus is in this house. In fact, this should be a place of joy and happiness. And if Jesus' presence literally means Emmanuel, God with us. Think about all these, John, back, back at the Christmas story. Y'all remember Christmas, right? Some of y'all have been to church before. All right. The Christmas story, we got the shepherds in the field. Shepherds could not ever go to the temple. They were the most unclean that existed in society. What happens? God sends an angel to the shepherds, and the angel comes with this announcement, hey, I bring good news of what? Great joy that should be for all people. For unto us is born this day a Savior, right? What's he saying? Emmanuel, God with us, brings good news. And if Jesus brings happiness, y'all, this should be the happiest place in anybody's life. Church should be a place, when you walk in here, it doesn't matter what you smell like, look like, dress like, act like. This should be a place of happiness. And we should embrace people from every background, right? So Jesus is at a wedding, and the wine runs out. And to give context to what I said earlier, this is not like a keg party. There were two drinks in Jesus' day. There was water, and there was wine. So the water, if you, the water, if you drank it, and it was not fermented and was not purified, it can make you very sick. If you've ever been on a mission trip, gone to a foreign country, right, you can get dysentery, you can get all kinds of diseases. So wine, fruit of the vine, it was crushed grapes. Who knows how much it was fermented. At the end of the day, they didn't have like sweet tea, lemonade, Coors Light, you know, it wasn't none of that. It was just water and wine. And so in, this was literally like, this would be like them running out of sweet tea at your reception. Okay, I'm trying to bring, like, make it make sense to you. And so they're day three of this wedding. Let's say it's a five-day wedding and they run out of wine and then the whispers start happening amongst the guests, right? It's like, man, I, you know, I, I thought this party was lit, but now we're out. What's going on? You know, people start whispering about the bride and the groom and the parents, right? Yo, they ran out. They didn't plan good. Yep, it's time to ride. I'm done. People start leaving. They start whispering about the bride and about the groom. And so Mary, Jesus' mother, who clearly was friends with the people at the wedding because she was there, she goes to Jesus and she's like, we have a problem. Now, what's cool is Mary knew Jesus could fix the problem. I don't know how. I like to read in things a little bit. This is the first miracle that John recorded. Maybe when Jesus was a kid, he wanted another like juice box and was like, mom, can I have another one? She said no. And he was like, got it. You know, <laughs> that'd have been cool. Uh, but she says, look, I, I, I know somebody can fix this. And she goes to Jesus. Now we know John heard the conversation because he recorded it. So Jesus is sitting with his disciples and his mom comes to him and says, hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus responds and it seems so rude. Dear woman, that is not our problem. My time has not yet come. And at face value it is, but here's the deal. When you translate Greek to English, you can lose some meaning and flow in translation, right? It would be like someone trying to translate our English language. Like imagine trying to translate to another language the phrase, heads up, because what do you do when someone says that? Right? It seems counterintuitive. How would you translate that into another language? 
Jesus is not being disrespectful. The, the response that he gives to his mom would be like him addressing her as ma'am in front of a crowd. And what he says to her essentially is, ma'am, that's not really my issue. My time's not come. Because what Jesus knew is this, the minute I perform a miracle, because this was the first, the minute I perform a miracle, the, the march to the cross starts to happen. Because then people recognize who I am. That's why multiple times in the Gospels, Jesus heals somebody. And what does he do? He says, don't, don't say anything about this. Keep it quiet, right? Because there's a part of Jesus that knew as soon as I perform a miracle, they're going to know I'm the Messiah. They're going to know I'm the Son of God. And Jesus knows that timeline to the cross is actually going to start taking place. And so Jesus here goes, look, I, I'm not saying he wasn't ready for it. But I envision Jesus looking at his mom going, this, this, isn't, this isn't really my issue. But I, but I got you. I got you. Because then she turns to the servants and says, just do whatever he says. And y'all, look, I don't, you may be here today, and maybe you've been a Christian for 10 years, or maybe you've been a Christian for 10 days. The basis of discipleship is just do what Jesus says. We complicate things sometimes, man. We, we, we have small group leader training at our church. You know, there's, there's seminary where you can go to uh, you can get a, a degree for two or three years. I've got one of those. Some of you think maybe you got to be in church for a decade before you can talk to anybody about Jesus. Y'all, the base word for disciple is discipline. And it means just be disciplined enough to do what Jesus says. We don't need to complicate it. Jesus' mom looks at these servants and says, just hey, the answer to the problem is to do what Jesus says. The same is true for our lives today. Whatever your issue is, just do what Jesus says about it. You go, well, what's my issue? Well, maybe your issue right now is you got relational problems in your life that are just broken down, right? And you go, I don't know how to fix this. I got trust issues in my relationship. Like I got purity issues in my relationship, right? Like my marriage is jacked up. Hey, do what Jesus says. I promise it works. I promise it works. Maybe you're sitting here and you go, hey, my issue is um, I got sexual sin in my life or I've got uh, some kind of substance abuse addiction in my life. Look at what Jesus says. He addresses all of those things, right? And, and, I th and I think if we would just get back to that baseline and go, whatever Jesus says to do about it, do it, we will find that our problems start to get fixed. Doesn't mean life's gonna be rosy. Sometimes things will still get rocky, but the solution's still the same. Mary looks at these servants, says, whatever he tells you to do, just do it. And they're like, all right, here we go. And, and, and what I want us to do is look at how Jesus performed this miracle. Because it's in how he did it that we actually learn something. Because John tells us this, right? There's a lot of miracles in scripture. There's Jesus, you know, split the food and the, and the, and the bread and the fish and he fed thousands. And Jesus spoke and he calmed the storm. Jesus walked on water. Jesus raised the man from the dead. He gave sight to those who were blind. But what John tells us right here is that this is more than a miracle, right? This, this is a miraculous sign. Two different things, right? So there's, there's something in this that, we, that Jesus is trying to tell us about who he is. And I, and I think when you, when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John's different, right? When John, the book of John opens up, what does he say? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. But then the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What's he saying? That word that you've grown up studying, Jews, your entire life, it is encompassed in the person of Jesus Christ. 
So everything that you've been memorizing and trying to spend time with and get to know, it's Jesus, right? Like he's going, that's why. And the whole book is littered like that. He talks about Jesus being the light of the world. So when, when we look at this, it's like there's a miraculous sign. What's the sign? What is Jesus trying to communicate and what is he saying? This is what he says. Verse six, this is how it went down, right? So he looks at his mom. I think he winks and he's like, I'll take care of this because you asked because it's Mother's Day next Sunday, right? Verse six, Jesus says, or this is what we find. Standing nearby, there were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. And each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of the ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master, let's just stop right there. Can I, can I get your attention for five minutes to talk through some theology real quick? Are y'all good? You sure? I may have lost some of you. This is what's taking place. The stone jars, I want you to imagine this. Stone water jars were, were used in the Jewish religion for the people to cleanse themselves before they approached God. Like the way this would work is, um, let's say you wanted to go to the temple for worship. You would have to go to a stone water jar with living water. And you're like, what's living water? That's weird. And why would they put water in a jar? So living water was, was moving water, not out of a well, not out of a cistern, out of a river, right? So think living, think moving. And so what, what the Jewish people would do is they would take these huge jars made out of stones and they would fetch this living water and they would put it inside the jars. And it, was, it really signified this is pure, living, active water. And the way that I cleanse my impurities is to rinse in this water before I get into the presence of God. This was everywhere in their life. And it wasn't just at the temple. They had to, they had to, when they woke up in the morning, just waking up in the morning, got to cleanse myself. Before they would eat, got to cleanse my hands. After they would have sex, they wash their hands, right? When they went to church, got to wash my hands. Before every meal, got to wash my hands. It was nonstop. Can you imagine a life where multiple times every single day you are reminded I am unclean and I have to clean myself before I get to God. This was what their life looked like. Now Jesus, Jesus who at any given point could have been like, wine's full. He decides this is the way I'm going to perform this miracle. Take those jars and go fill them up with water. Now keep in mind, they didn't have a hose, so there wasn't like crank up the spigot, fill them up, right? So the servants had to pick up 20-gallon jars, take them to a river, take them to a well, whatever, fill these things up, bring them all the way back. This miracle took time. They get them back. And then what does Jesus do? He turns it into wine. Now what's fascinating is that the Last Supper, you remember the Last Supper? We talk about it on Good Friday the bread and the wine, Jesus takes this cup and he passes around to his disciples. And as they drink the wine, what does he say the wine is? He said, this is the, my blood of the new covenant. Whoever drinks of this, right, will, will what? They ingest, they drink, they take on my righteousness. My blood is what purifies you from the inside out. Jesus said this as he goes to the cross. 
Now, when I think about Jesus taking water and turning it to wine, what he's saying in this miracle, this is the sign. He's saying, look, it's no longer what you do cleaning yourself to get to God. It's what God's done in sending me. That's how you get to him. You drink. When they draw it up out of the jar and they drink it, what are they doing? The same thing the disciples were doing. They're identifying now with Jesus. And Jesus is saying, look, that's, that's ultimately where joy, that's where happiness comes from. And I want you to imagine being at the wedding, right? Because when the wine runs out, the music stops, the dancing fades, people start to leave, the bride and the groom, they're embarrassed, parents are embarrassed, right? Because this is like shameful. The worst thing that could have happened to this young couple is for the wine to run out. And so they're full of shame, they're full of embarrassment, but in a moment, Jesus performs a miracle and their shame is taken away. Their embarrassment is now gone. And guess what else happens? The party gets to crank back up and the celebration continues. I wanna remind somebody here today that if you claim to be in Christ, if you have given him your life, if you have received what he did on the cross, the celebration in your life should continue. There should be a smile on your face. I think about baptism. We celebrated several baptisms earlier and we will in just a moment as well. I've never seen somebody come out of the baptism waters mean mugging. Have you? I've never seen somebody come up out of the baptism waters mad. You know why? There is joy when you recognize what God has done for you and what he's delivered you from and forgiven you for, right? There is a joy that comes over your life. Look, maybe the reason you walk around frowning and upset and negative and critical and cynical is because the spirit of the Lord is not inside of you. That's very possible. But Jesus at this wedding says, look, I'm gonna fix the problem once and for all. Turns water to wine, the celebration continues. Jesus, three years later, would end up having that conversation at the Last Supper. And Jesus would say, whoever drinks of me will not die. Right? Jesus, John chapter four, Tevin preached it last week. What did he tell the woman at the well? I will give you living water. What's he talking about? He had just performed a miracle where he took living water and he turned it into wine. Here's what Jesus is asking us to do today. And maybe some of you for the first time. It's no longer about you doing something to get to him. It's about you receiving what he's done for you. And it's about receiving that into your life and welcoming him into your life. And maybe today for the first time, you need to make that decision. Can I, can I get you to bow your heads, everybody? No looking around. Just the privacy of this moment as you process who God is and what he's done for you. Maybe you're here and you would say, you know, I can't think of the last time that I've been happy. I can't think of the last time that I've been joyful. Maybe you just wake up every day and it's partly cloudy and you're frustrated and you feel this sense of negativity. And maybe today what God's saying to you is, I just wanna... I want to revive your life. I want to renew your spirit. I want to give you joy. And I want to be the source of your happiness. Maybe today you need to realize that a relationship with Jesus Christ is not some transactional thing. It's you receiving a gift that changes you from the inside out. And maybe today you just need to make a decision. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to receive what he's done for me. If that's you today, I want to, I want to pray for you. I'm gonna ask you just a moment to lift your hand so I can do that. There's no one looking around. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. 
this is between you and the Lord, but I want to pray for you. If today you would say, I want a relationship with Jesus. I want to receive what he's done for me. Would you just lift your hand right now? Lift it up high. Amen. I see you. In the risers, I see you. In the back, I see you. God, thank you so much for the decisions being made right now to step into relationship with you. God, we thank you that you're a God who loves us, who doesn't ask us to work for you, doesn't ask us to earn anything. God, you just ask us to receive what's been done for us through the person of Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross, you died for our sins, you made a way for us to be in relationship with God. And we thank you that you defeated sin, death, and hell, and you rose on the third day. And God, for that, we give you thanks and we celebrate. Thank you for new life. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for good news that changes us. It's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And all God's people said, amen.